Welcome to Australia's Future with Tony Abbott. I'm Daniel Wilde from the Institute of Public Affairs. Australia is facing its most significant challenges since World War II. Geopolitical tensions are increasing. Cultural self-confidence is in decline. The values which define us, freedom, democracy, egalitarianism and sacrifice are being put to the test. Over this special podcast series, Tony and I discuss how Australia can survive and flourish in the decades ahead. Hello, Tony, and g'day to all of our listeners, and welcome to a special episode of Australia's Future with uh, Tony Abbott, where Tony and I will be discussing the Victoria election and what it means for the future of Victoria and the future of Australia. Uh, Tony, let's just get straight into it. The outcome of the election, we're speaking on Monday, uh, the votes came in on Saturday, very much similar to 2018, Labor have been returned with a thumping majority uh, and the coalition have failed to make any noticeable uh, inroads into that significant Labor majority. We have four more years of Labor. Uh, Tony, I'll just open the floor for you to begin with and give us your overall assessment and insights into the election and its consequences. Well, Dan, obviously it's a very disappointing result because the Andrews government was, as has been said over and over again, the most inept and the most ethically challenged government in the country. And you would have certainly hoped uh, that the coalition would have made more of an impact. Uh, You would have hoped that the coalition would actually have knocked the government off uh, so that uh, Victorians could have got a government that was more financially responsible better at delivering services, uh, stopped politicising the public service and other institutions and uh, got on with the job of governing in a clean and honest way. So, yes, a disappointing result. On the other hand, uh, there were some encouraging things to come out of the election. Uh, Labor's primary vote is down 6%. The Coalition's two-party preferred vote is up 3%. Unfortunately, Uh, The coalition tended to win votes in Labor seats and it actually went backwards in some of its own seats. And I think the basic problem was that uh, uh, the Liberal Party did not, over the previous four years, develop a sustained and consistent critique of the government, which then founded uh, a series of credible alternative policies based on clear uh, centre-right liberal conservative values. That's that's basically, in a nutshell, uh, what I think has happened. Now, um, if I could just for a moment digress, yep. uh, Dan, into my own experience as opposition leader. Please. Uh, back in 2009, the coalition was regarded as uh, pretty much on the ropes. Um, we had, uh, at the time... Uh, a leader who wanted us to essentially make common cause with the Labor Party over climate policy and the uh, emissions trading scheme. Uh, There was a party room revolt. Uh, I emerged as the leader by a mere one vote. And I said um, on day one that the job of opposition is not to make weak compromises with a bad government. The job of opposition is to to be a clear alternative. And that's exactly what we were. 
And the lesson from recent federal elections is where the coalition campaigns strongly against Labor uh, economically uh, and on issues such as uh, climate policy, we do well. We did well in 2010. We did well in 2013. We did well in 2019. Where, on the other hand, we basically say, look, uh, uh, we're better managers, uh, please vote for us as we did in 2016, as we did in 2022, uh, well, we tend to lose. And if you look more broadly, uh, look at the four most recent elections around Australia uh, where the Liberal Party hasn't been a clear and distinct alternative. Uh, the West Australian election last year where basically we tried to outgreen the Greens, the South Australian election earlier this year where First of all, we appeared to be fairly divided internally and uh, while we hadn't been bad managers compared with the previous Labor government, <clears throat> we didn't really seem very distinct from uh, Labor. Then the federal campaign recently where I think we'd given up one of our core equities uh, when we embraced net zero and more recently uh, the Victorian election where we were very much Labor light in a policy sense. These are all defeats which I think uh, can be traced back to the fact that we weren't sufficiently different from the other side and why would anyone vote Liberal when essentially um, we're not that much different from Labor? So I think uh, uh, that's the basic issue. Now, I absolutely take, take the point that's been made by various commentators that uh, our vote is too low amongst ethnic groups. Our vote is too low amongst young people. Our vote is too low amongst younger women. But we don't fix that issue uh, by just being an echo of Labor. We fix that issue by having policies that are likely to appeal to those particular groups and, and indeed that are founded on our values. And just to take one example, um, I thought that uh, uh, a, a point of light in the recent federal campaign uh, was the policy that was announced very late uh, to allow uh, people to use some of their compulsory superannuation savings for housing. Now, if you're under 40, uh, you're much more interested in getting yourself a home of your own than you are in saving from, for retirement. So why didn't we go much further, much sooner on this and simply say, look, if you're under 40, you can use all of your compulsory superannuation savings towards your first home um, and only then uh, start to save uh, for your retirement. It would have annoyed the hell out of the Labor Party uh, and it would very much have appealed uh, to young people who want to get a stake in the country. But... Uh, we were too fearful of upsetting vested interests to be uh, too out and proud with a policy like that too soon. And in the end, I think it was too little, too late. So, look, there are all sorts of lessons in recent polit political uh, outcomes. Uh, but the last thing we should do, based on what we've seen most recently in Victoria, uh, is to think that somehow 
the way to win is to be more like Labor. Yeah, Tony, uh, I agree with all of that. And I just want to build on this point that you make at the end there. I mean, surely, surely this has to put an end to the idea that the path back to power for the Liberals at the federal level and across the states is through the teal seats. I mean, these are a small number of inner city seats uh, who are very wealthy, very well off, you know, and good on them, good on the people there that have, you know, done well for themselves, but they simply don't reflect the views and the values of the majority of mainstream Australians. Surely this must put an end to the argument that the path back to power is through the teal seats. Quite clearly, in my opinion, the coalition needs to embrace the outer suburbs and the regions and become a fully-fledged party of working-class Australians who Labor have turned their back on. What do you think? Well, I certainly don't think that we should uh, um, self-consciously and deliberately ignore any seats, Uh, but uh, we're not going to win back the so-called teal seats in the federal parliament by out-tealing the teals. We're going to win back the teal seats when a bad federal Labor government is uh, damaging the economic interests of people who'd previously voted Teal. And I suspect that's exactly what's going to happen over the next Mm. couple of years. I think that uh, Labor's uh, inability to rein in spending, uh, Labor's empowering of uh, big unions against small business, uh, the almost inevitable uh, tax assault on people's savings, which I think is coming in the next uh, Albanese government budget, plus Mm. the fact that Labor's climate change policies are going to continue to put massive upward pressure on power prices and I think they're going to jeopardise the the security of our power supply within the next couple of years as more big coal-fired power stations close. I think that is going to be what wins us back the teal seats, not any attempt to be greener than green or to be uh, uh, even closer to the Labor Party. Uh, Tony, I just want to return to your insights about your time as opposition leader. And, you know, as you as you noted, it was an enormous turnaround uh, from uh, 2010 compared with 2007. Uh, most of the establishment media and the aficionados believed that, you know, to be many, many elections before the coalition would be returned to government after 2007, yet it almost happened just three years later and it did happen in a thumping majority six years later in many cases against all the odds. Take us back to when you first became opposition leader. I reckon you would have had all of these pollsters and focus group people and the consultant types telling you a certain thing, uh, but you uh, seem to have this capacity whether it's gut instinct or whether it's your uh, based on your experience, but you had the ability just to take a stand on what were then critical issues. Uh, not only was that right for the country in a policy sense, but it was also what proved to be enormously electorally appealing. Um, Tony, help us understand because we'll have a new leader here in Victoria of the Liberal Party. Um, should they just shelve the polling and the focus groups and and just have a go at opposing the government based on, say, three critical issues? I mean, what do you reckon? Well, I think the first thing that needs to be done uh, after a dreadful electoral disappointment is to uh, take stock of yourself and uh, to uh, reconsider uh, and reconfirm who it is that you 
are trying to represent and what it is that you're trying to do and what are the fundamental values of your party. Now, I think that uh, in the end, the job of the Liberal Party <clears throat> is always to do its best to represent Menzies' forgotten people. And I think that the values of Menzies' We Believe statement uh, have uh, uh, an enduring resonance. And I think what that means in practical terms is that governments have to be very frugal with taxpayers' money. They have to try to ensure uh, that government services are delivered as efficiently as possible. Uh, they have to be very careful about government doing things that people can better do for themselves. And in the context of uh, a state government, well, they need to try to ensure that um, state schools are uh, run uh, in ways that are very responsive to parents. Uh, they need to have a, a very rigorous academic curriculum. Uh, they need to uh, very much have uh, uh, the schools run by the principals as opposed by the teachers' union delegate. In terms of public hospitals, well, uh, I think that... Uh, um, you've got to respect the professional staff. Uh, you've got to empower them to do the right thing. Um, if you talk to doctors who work extensively in both public and private systems, uh, the private systems, admittedly uh, under somewhat different circumstances, nevertheless appear to be much more efficient at actually getting things done. Obviously, uh, one of the most important jobs of state government uh, is, is law and order and the police. And this is where you've got to have the police actually out there fighting crime rather than making politically correct gestures and so on. Now, some people might say, oh, but hang on a minute. Uh, the world is different now than it was uh, even in 2013 when I won, let alone 1996 when Howard won. Uh, or 1949 and subsequently when Menzies won. And, and yes, there's no that times change and Australia has significantly evolved uh, over the decades. But if you look at the migrant communities uh, that are particularly strong in northern and western Melbourne, these are people who are absolutely committed to their families, um, to education for their kids, uh, many of them are involved in small business. So these are really natural liberals, provided we can reach out to them. And one of the points which has been made again and again in recent times is that more and more liberal voters uh, are in the western suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne, but that the party is still very much run from the eastern suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne. Now, I don't mind the eastern suburbs. They're beautiful areas and many friends of mine live there. Uh, but we've got to be careful uh, that we have a mindset uh, which is reaching out uh, to aspirational Australia wherever it is and whatever it looks like um, rather than simply staying in our traditional comfort zones. I think that's right, Tony, but what – uh, from a sort of administrative perspective or an organisational perspective, how do you get the coalition to be more uh, focused and sensitive to 
the people living in you know the outer suburbs, you know the western suburbs of Sydney and Melbourne. You know, do you do you do things like move the headquarters of the Liberal Party from uh, in you know here it's in Collins Street? Do you move it out to Tarnit or something like that? Do you actually have to get you know people out there, the physical infrastructure out there? Um, you know, based on your experience from a practical perspective, how do you reckon they can go about making those critical changes that you've identified? Well, always. Uh- the key thing is uh, is leadership, and again, it's really the human factor that counts. Uh, mm. I mean, if 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 leader X or President Y uh, is is very much focused on uh, leafy inner city seats, uh, that will produce a certain outcome. Yep. If uh, uh, leader Y or President Y is very much focused on trying to reach out to the diversity of modern Australia, well, again, that will produce a different outcome. Um, the success of the Howard government was very much based on its ability to win seats in outer metropolitan areas, and that was certainly what I was able to do in uh, 2013. And interestingly, uh, Scott Morrison succeeded brilliantly in the 2019 miracle win campaigning very strongly against labor's massive new taxes on investors and on retirees and on aspirational people and against what labor was going to do to the coal industry and to resources more generally mm. uh, through its uh, climate uh, preoccupations and he had a great win um yes we lost uh, some seats uh, in inner city areas, but we gained seats in regional areas uh, in 2019, which which gave us that victory. So um, I'm not saying that we necessarily need to sell head office and move somewhere uh, else, but, but we've got to make a mental shift. It doesn't necessarily have to be a physical shift, but it yeah. certainly does have to be a mental shift. Um, and, and as, as, we proved uh, in 2010 uh, you should never assume just because you've had a thumping defeat that you can't win next time, yep. but you are only going to win next time if you learn the right lessons and then have a go. And that's what I hope will happen in Victoria after the disappointments of Saturday night. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, I reckon the right lessons. I mean, if you look at the on a seat by seat basis, you'll see that there were, as you said at the start of our conversation, some you know pretty decent swings to the Liberals in safe Labor seats in the western suburbs. You're talking like six to fifteen percent swings, which are significant, but you know they're held by Labor on a twenty percent margin. But if they keep going down this path, I think that they have a very good chance of securing some of those seats, perhaps at the next election. So. I think, for what it's worth, that's the that's the right way to go. Um, I want to just return to one uh, question that I had from from an earlier remark. Why, look, in my opinion, the Liberals really fail to differentiate themselves on key issues: uh, lockdowns, climate, and education. I don't think they did enough on those three issues uh, to appeal to working and middle class Victorians. Um, if you share that perspective. Um, why do you think it's the case 
that they didn't differentiate themselves enough? Is there something in the party structure? Is it to do with the polling and the focus groups? Is it that they were too, I guess, intimidated by Daniel Andrews and Labor? Um, to what do you attribute that reluctance? Well, I think it's all of all of those things. Now, <clears throat> um, you know, if I go back to uh, to my own experience in 2009, there were lots of people in the coalition party room who thought that we were on a hiding to nothing uh, if we didn't essentially embrace the whole uh, emissions agenda and we didn't embrace what amounted to a carbon tax. And there were certainly plenty of people in the commentariat who were saying that uh, the Liberals were doomed if they didn't do that. Um, And after I was elected leader, they said, well, the Liberals have just condemned themselves to long-term opposition because Abbott is unelectable. But the truth, as we discovered back then, was that, uh, sure, uh, if you allow climate to be a moral issue, you struggle. But once you turn climate into an economic issue, uh, you do well. And frankly, this is where it takes Uh, a bit of intestinal fortitude. It really does. Uh, You've got to be prepared to say, well, I disagree uh, and I am prepared uh, to have that fight. And as you would remember, Dan, we turned Labor's emissions trading scheme into a great big new tax on everything uh, and we almost won the 2010 election. In fact, effectively, we did win the 2010 election, only we lost the subsequent negotiation. And then when Labor was silly enough to actually introduce a carbon tax at the behest of the Greens, we then had a thumping win in 2013. So, look, um, as I keep saying, uh, all of us are uh, conservationists because we've only got one planet and we've got to look after it. Uh, But this idea that we should put reducing emissions ahead of saving jobs protecting industries and trying to keep people's cost of living under control is just wrong. It's just wrong. And and the problem with uh, what Labor's doing at state and federal levels is that its climate policy is sending power prices through the roof. Uh, soon it is going to expose our power grids to enormous reliability pressure um, And I think the Liberal Party just has to be upfront about this. Now, you know, does that mean that we aren't concerned about emissions? No, we should try to get emissions down as far and as fast as possible, but not at the expense of people's jobs and people's cost of living. And I just think we have to be honest with the public about this. It is impossible uh, to reduce emissions as far and as fast as people want and at the same time to keep the lights on. We just have to be upfront. And sure, some people will say, oh, you're climate deniers. Some people will say, oh, you're a, you're a friend of fossil fuels. Well, <laughs> yes, <laughs> if we want to keep the lights on in the absence of nuclear power, uh, we are going to have to keep using fossil fuels because the unavoidable fact is that um, we need electricity 24-7 not Mm. just when the wind blows and the sun shines. Now, again, 
in the recent Victorian election where Daniel Andrews uh, put forward this giant con that uh, he was recreating the State Electricity Commission when, in fact, uh, the State Electricity Commission was what gave us the massive brown coal mines and the massive brown coal-fired power stations uh, that gave Victoria uh, the world's cheapest energy and helped to make Victoria Australia's manufacturing uh, powerhouse. I mean, that wasn't what Dan Andrews was proposing at all. He was pretending to recreate the State Electricity Commission while, in fact, uh, just producing uh, yet more uh, wind and solar power. So, but, but regrettably, there was not a peep about that uh, from, uh, from the state coalition. No, that's right, Tony. Um, as we just come to the end of our discussion, I want to ask you, uh, I, I guess, a, a question that is a lot, on a lot of people's minds here, which is, well, what is Victoria actually going to look like in four years' time? You know, we have a significant amount of debt, which is more than New South Wales, Queensland and Tasmania combined, and that's only going to go up. There's significant commitments to more spending on relatively useless projects like the suburban rail loop. You're talking hundreds of billions of dollars. Uh, An electricity system that is, I would argue, the worst in the nation. And it's being run by a premier who is the most far-left premier in the nation by a long way and perhaps one of the most far-left leaders in the Western world. Um, I think there's deep concern about the economy, our culture, our way of life, and also the practical economic uh, situation that many Victorians face. Um, So I'm just interested in your perspective in, you know, if Labor is able to do what it wants unencumbered, and it may be, we'll have to wait a few weeks to see the outcome of the upper house here, but if it's anything like it was, then Labor will essentially be able to do what it wants. Um, How do you reckon the state's going to be in four years' time? Look, uh, what you're going to get inevitably is is more of the same, uh, only probably more of the same on steroids because inevitably uh, a ruthless and extremely self-confident, dare I say, arrogant leader is going to feel completely vindicated. Yep. So, yes, there's going to be more spending. There'll be more taxing. Um, there'll be more political correctness. Uh, there'll be more pressure on small business in particular. So it's not a particularly happy prospect, I've got to say. But then if the Liberal Party plays its cards right, there's no reason why there can't be a very, very strong political comeback. But the way to do that is to develop a strong and consistent critique of what the government is doing. Uh, And then based on that strong and consistent critique, have a strong and credible alternative. And you can't suddenly do this a couple of months out from an election, it really does have to start from day one. Now, I'm not saying that every policy that the Libs take to an election in 2026 should be crystal clear within the next few months, but you've got to start building towards it from day one. Uh, Well said, Tony. Um, 
just wanted to say thank you for you know, taking the time out to give us this special analysis. I know a lot of people have been wondering what your take is and given your experiences, I would say Australia's most successful uh, opposition leader, uh, what your take is on how to take Victoria forward and Australia forward. So uh, we greatly appreciate your time and your insights and analysis and um, I'm looking forward to hearing more of it, more of it over the coming weeks. Thanks, Dan. Wonderful to talk and uh, I hope our listeners enjoy the discussion. This is a production of the Centre for the Australian Way of Life at the Institute of Public Affairs. To find out more, visit australia.ipa.org.au.